overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now here's your hosts, Jason Garrett and Raghav Sharma. Hey, before we get into this podcast, I wanted to let you all know that there is some mature language in here, which you would normally censor out, but we let the conversation flow this time around. Thank you. And here is the podcast. Okay. We are live in three, two, one. We are live with another episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast, the podcast focused on helping you live healthier so that you can do what you want to do. Today, we have none other than the, one of the strongest men to have ever walked this planet, the greatest of all time in powerlifting, Ed Cohn. Competing for over 25 years from 1981 to 2007, Eddie set over 71 world records um, during his career with his best lifts being a 1,019 pound squat, 570 pound bench, and a 901 pound deadlift. Eddie may have retired, but he's now doing a lot for the sport of powerlifting, continues to coach, mentor, and hold seminars all over the world for all levels and all kinds of people. The best part about him is that he's not just an incredible powerlifter, but an incredible human being as well. This is a so to say, fantastic conversation filled with incredible advice. So let's get straight into it. Oh, Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Is there anything I missed in that intro that you want people to know about you? No, I don't really. I don't really care. It's all, you know, it's a, a one big, long journey. And uh, I'm just, I'm pretty happy with all of it. So no, I didn't think you missed anything. I mean, I started young. I finished, you know, I lasted 28 straight years. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just keep learning or else you die. So I think I kept learning all the way to the end. Yeah. Or else I wouldn't have lasted that long. Um, For the first thing, I guess, for anyone who doesn't know what powerlifting is or strength sports, can you tell us a little bit about what powerlifting is and then how did you get into it? Uh, uh, Let's see. It's more of an absolute strength thing. Unlike Olympic weightlifting, it's a little bit less skill, but a lot more power, like straight brute static power. And uh, so there's a three lifts, a squat, a bench press, a deadlift. The squat is a picture with you, if you would, uh, uh, a pair of racks, two big stands with weights across them. And you would get underneath it, put place it on your shoulders, stand up with it, walk back and set up and then squat below parallel. That's par- parallel to for us is like the top of the knee to the top of the hip at the joint right at the crease. And so you have to break that point, obviously stand back up with it and walk it back in. And the bench press, I think everyone pretty much knows what a bench press is. You lay down, you take the weight out, you press it back up. Um, You have to pause it on your chest. It has to be uh, pressed up fairly evenly. And you got commands that say when to, when to start and when to rack it. And then you have a deadlift, which basically you walk up and you pick up a weight till you're locked out. Your knees are locked up and your your chest and shoulders are up and back. And uh, then you just got to wait for a down signal and say, put it down. And that's with no straps or anything, no uh, gloves, so you don't get calluses. We uh, we appreciate calluses in powerlifting. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, so for our listeners at home, we basically have the Michael Jordan of powerlifting on the podcast with us. So Raghav and I both have our, like our own experience with powerlifting, but compared to Ed, we would be like two kids playing basketball at the park and Ed would be like Michael Jordan at the United center. So that's kind of some perspective for who we have on the podcast with us today. Just shorter and a lot less money. (laughs) Yeah. Powerlifting is not the sport. If you want to get some sort of wealth out of it. No, uh, not, the, not, the, not, not winning contest by itself. Yeah. So if there's no money in it, then why'd you go into powerlifting and how'd you end up becoming the greatest of all time? I, I tried bodybuilding it and I didn't like it. I didn't like it. Something about just trying to lift heavy weights just was like part of me and it just took off right away. I couldn't stop it. That was just who I was. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, and I enjoyed every second of it still do. And so at a lot of, I think what a lot of people that don't maybe lift or compete in powerlifting, I think few people really realize, um, the lessons that can be learned from the iron. Can you kind of extrapolate a little bit on what you've learned from life outside, like from powerlifting and from training things that you can just apply to your everyday life and things you learn? Well, a lot of things, uh, it, it mimics a lot. I mean, the, the routine, what you set out on paper are their goals that you have to accomplish every day in the gym. And I still make lists to this day on, uh, on what I want to do for the next day and what I have to accomplish as far as my little tasks at hand, who I got to call, what I got to do, what I got to bank. If I got to do uh, a, a, a podcast, if I got to read something, what I got to post up, all kinds of stuff. And so that it, it definitely, it definitely mimics that as far as if you can handle that routine and the discipline, then you can pretty much do anything in life. Cause it's, it, it pretty much mimics the same exact stuff to be successful in anything. You, you have to have a, a certain formula and a, there's a certain amount of steps to, to take. So pretty basic. Yeah. I think one of the biggest lessons that I've personally gained from lifting as well was that like commitment where when you go into the gym, you have exactly what you're going to do, maybe written down, or you're just going to do whatever it is that day. But at the same time, you go through pushing your body to maybe it's limits depending on the workout. And you kind of, a lot of people don't necessarily enjoy working out because it's difficult. You sweat. Um, and you don't necessarily feel like a hundred or a million bucks at that point, but you do it and you invest that time into yourself. And then that same lesson of kind of investing into yourself and pushing yourself translates to whatever else you do in life. So I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've definitely learned. What about I, you, Jason? I like that part. I like that part of feeling uncomfortable and drained and everything else. It's, it, nothing is, is really easy if you want to be good at it. I just chose to be good. Mm-hmm. And I did it. I did it all the time, many times a year, to try to get better in little ways all the time. And if you do it long enough, you're going to be really damn good at it. And to kind of just piggyback off of what Raghav said, I think that um, one of the things I've learned in my life is that really true joy and I think a sense of accomplishment comes on the other end of maybe physical suffering. So uh, whether you're a runner, a lifter, whatever it is, where you can push yourself to your absolute maximum output of what you can give in a certain day. Um, and you do it repetitively. I think you, you, you kind of get a better understanding of yourself and, and kind of a, I would say, I would say a happier life and a more enjoyable life. Um, just from that feeling of physical exhaustion at the end of a day that kind of leads to some sort of satisfaction versus kind of not doing anything during the day. Yeah. When you, when you're pushing yourself towards a certain goal, there's a certain sense of accomplishment when you hit that goal. And that's the mental part of it. It's like, I knew I could do it. I did it. Now you become proud of yourself and you develop a positive mental attitude. So every time or the next time you do that same thing, you're like, I already did that. No problem. Yeah. Um, there's definitely a lot of lessons to be learned from whatever it is. And for Ed, um, Jason also does ultra marathons. So he's a little bit crazier than we are with the powerlifting. He does powerlifting and he also does ultra marathons, which is a strange combination, but somehow he makes it happen. I'm bad at both, but I, I enjoy them. <laughs> That's all that matters. Exactly. So one of the things that we go for on this podcast as the preventive medicine podcast is we try to bring you uh, different viewpoints from different angles about everything that goes into health. So Ed is not a doctor. He's not necessarily in the healthcare field, but we, what he is very good at is exercise, nutrition, and anything related to pretty much strength training. So an opening question, I guess, is what does preventive medicine mean to you? Um, actually it's, it's, that, that's a big, big word that is like really, really broad sc- scope. So almost, almost everything you do is preventative medicine in a way. Cause there's, I mean, with just, just to be able to combat stress, if you're healthy, allows your body to combat it better. But that's just the physical part. The mental part, as I said, with a positive mental attitude, because you've done stuff hard in the gym, is if you uh, apply that to your life, things aren't that hard because 
what you've done is you've started at a, a small spot in your life with, with being able to lift weights or run an ultra marathon as far as your time and distance. And then each time you follow a certain schedule, um, a routine, and you get better at it and better at it and better at it. But it starts really, really small. Like if I wanted to go out and start uh, running, I'm not going to go out and all of a sudden try to do X amount of miles. <laughs> I'm going to try to maybe run not six even miles. half mile. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what you learn is that you're what you're capable of, and what your body and mind adapt to are small changes over a long period of time gets you to the finish line. The tortoise in the hare. And I think as long as you realize that and have a routine and a plan, then you'll reach it. No problem. It, it, it may be hard, but you'll be able to reach it. Everything, every time in the gym, when I would do a certain routine and it was new and I knew it was going to be hard. Every week you have a, a tiny little self-doubt, a little apprehension in there. And then you do it and you're like, well, why the heck was I even worried about that? Then you're like, well, okay, I got to do next week. It makes next week possible in your mind. And then the next week possible. And then the next week possible. All of a sudden, you're at the end and you're way stronger mentally and physically than you ever were at the beginning. And that's just, and you you could just say, you could actually put that in place as far as not even athletics. You could say, this is how I built my career. You know, you didn't start off uh, getting your doctorate. You know what I mean? You were yeah, somewhere definitely. else many, many times before that. And I think one thing that, you know, just to kind of, I, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, seemingly on opposite ends of the spectrum running or endurance sport in general versus powerlifting, where it's, you know, one rep versus, you know, thousands and thousands of footsteps or pedals on a bike. I think both have something really, you know, seemingly in common in the sense of you get up, you do it every day each time you're challenging yourself in a way, maybe that's new to yourself. So you're pushing yourself outside of that comfort zone, whether you're trying a new one rep max or three rep max, or, you know, you're doing, I've never done five by five this heavy before on a back squat, or I've never run 20 miles before, but I'm supposed to run 20 miles in training tomorrow. And you have that, that night before the morning of whatever you have that, like Ed said, that self doubt where you're kind of like, I don't know if I could do this, you know, and then you kind of, you finish the workout, you finish the training session. And maybe there are points when you thought you weren't going to finish, you weren't going to get that rep, you weren't going to finish that mileage. And then you finish it and you're like, okay, you know, I had more in me than I thought. And then it, it kind of broadens that, that horizon of like, okay, maybe I can do more than I thought I could do. And each time you do that, it kind of widens those horizon horizons for you and kind of sets your new goal, sets your, your ceiling a little bit higher each time. Exactly. And I, I also love how, I guess if you ask someone who's into like exercise and different things like that, they'll tell you that preventive medicine is like building a healthy body. Right. But the way you took this answer is more so about like life in general and taking lessons from the gym, maybe, and translating that to life where you can be preventive about everything. And preventive medicine is not just about your body. And it's about a lot of the other things that you do outside the gym, outside of your running, outside of whatever exercise you do and whatever you do within that exercise routine, whether it's running, lifting, any sort of sport, you build that resiliency and that self-confidence and that like um, self-efficacy that you apply to every other aspect of your life. And then you can kind of make your life preventive in other aspects through your mental health, maybe your financial health, which is also a huge aspect where you make sure you can provide for your family, that you have nutritious food to eat and so forth. So I love how you touched on kind of every single aspect of preventive health using that gym. It all starts in your mind anyways. It all starts in your if, 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 if you're not positive in your mind, you won't be able to do it physically because your mind's going to stop you. As soon as you have too many doubts and they overwhelm you, you won't be able to get a, a you, you won't be able to do what you do in school or have, have the confidence to do your job better, or even want to do your job better. So it, it, uh, all that stuff ends up holding your back, but it has to start in your head. That's the only way it gets done to, to be able to write something or pick up something or to read something that it has to start in your mind. And, but that, that, that has to do with there's will and skill. If you have the will to do it, you can develop the skill easy. But the, you have to have the will first. 
So Ed, one thing I like that you said is that it kind of like you, you, you kind of give the idea of you're doing it piece by piece. You're not going from, you know, zero to a hundred. And I think a lot of folks struggle with their health in the sense of, you know, maybe they're obese or overweight or they struggle with their diet. They struggle with some aspect of their health. Maybe they're smoking and they don't know how to quit. Um, but so if you're giving advice to somebody who's, you know, they're, they're trying to get healthy for the first time and they're like, I just can't seem to stay consistent. I can't seem to stack these wins together. You know, how, how do you go about kind of encouraging them? What advice do you give to someone to get the ball rolling in the right direction? Uh, um, a, a win. So I'll say too, too many, too many people don't look at anything long-term. Everyone wants everything right now. I mean, you, you take a, a, a 500 pound person and they think right away, I've got to get to 200. And after week one, they lost eight pounds. Well, they're going to quit because they don't think they can do it. Well, you know, I, I want you every week to lose five pounds. So, and, and for a while, that's going to be easy for someone that weighs, that is obese. Um, if you try to make them move too fast, they have a lot of people that have health problems, have a lot of more self-doubt and no confidence and depression than anybody else who's healthy because that's one of the reasons why they're unhealthy is because they don't have that. So you've got to build that. You can't just, you can't just say, boom, it's there. It's got to build really, really slowly with people because they have so many self doubts and stuff already and depression and they don't, they don't think there's their shit. And so you got to work really, really slowly with them. So every time after every week, that is already a success. You don't, you, you, you can't go by, Oh, uh, uh, we got to get these gains by this amount of time or your shit. That's what happens is they set a goal, a, a goal that they is a, a, that they can't reach. And that makes them try too hard. And what they're doing and the, the effort you're putting in is at such a high level that it's unsustainable for a long period of time. What you want is we want, you want to be moderate for a long, long period of time that can last forever. It's just like a diet. If your diet sucks and then you all of a sudden try to do uh the super califragilisticexpialidocious <laughs> diet that a bodybuilder fucking makes up you're gonna die there's no way you could do it even <laughs> even a regular guy can't do it but if you just say okay let's start knocking out a little bit of sugar okay let's start knocking down our carbs then all of a sudden you're knocking out without even trying all these calories and you're knocking out like uh, almost a complete food group for them. And all of a sudden it's like, Holy shit, look at me. Look what I did. Okay. Well then, okay, let's do this. Let's start uh, cutting back. Cause we already cut back on a lot of calories and a lot of bullshit sugar. Okay. Now, now we're going to cut back on processed foods. Then we're going to cut back a little bit on this but then they become more like a normal person and that kind of diet or lifestyle is sustainable. What I just said is lifestyle. Then it doesn't become a diet. Diets don't fucking work. They suck. That's why the diet industry is so many billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. I think that's, there's so many different important things that you said in there. Um, I, I don't know where to start on that, but I think one of the things that was most important was that it's kind of the micro setting of goals where people look at like the maybe year to two year to three year picture. And then they say, if I can't accomplish this goal in one year, then it's a waste of time. So if I can't lose that eight pounds, like you were talking about, they're like, all right, I'm not going to lose 300 pounds in one year, but they fail yeah. to see that it's not about the one year. It's about a life. So if you're like 20 to 30 years old and say the life expectancy, 78 years old right now, I think then you have another. 48 years. So any step towards the right direction is very good because you have 48 years to do it. So any small minuscule step you take over 48 years will definitely compound. And I'm not saying it's going to take 48 years to reach the goal, but setting that super micro goal that you can accomplish day in and day out over maybe like 10 to 20 years is going to be extremely beneficial because then you still have that 28 years where you can live healthily. Yeah. And to, it's a choice. It's a choice. A hundred percent. And I think one thing also that, you know, I think people need to kind of change their view in, in more of a process oriented way. And I always try to echo that with people that I work with is it's, it's process over perfection, right? If I can take somebody who can be 75 to 85% 
you know, on plan and on program and, and doing things the right way over their lifetime, they're going to do a lot better than somebody who can give a hundred percent for three weeks. Right. So if they can give me 75%, 85%, and then slowly that percentage starts to creep up as they, as they build the habits and as they continue to work on their health. But I think just that idea of people are either all in or all out. And that's not the way that health works. Right. So it's like, you know, I always try to tell people you may have, you know, maybe you've had a bad day, but that doesn't necessarily mean tomorrow has to be bad. Right. So, but I think kind of that idea of like, give me your best effort over the span of your lifetime and the work and the rewards will speak for themselves at that point. Yeah. Just be better, but you, you lay down a stronger base and you could, you can actually look at some guys that were athletes when they were younger and women, and you can walk by them and look at them and you'll be like, they used to do something. I know they used to do something just by the way, their posture is how they move something, how they're at it, how they stand something's up and, and you'll know it right away. Yeah. And I think that's also actually possibly double-edged sword because you see some athletes that are like that, that have developed those habits and it's kind of ingrained in them. Then you see other people who maybe didn't necessarily develop the habits of like health and they relied on the sport to become healthy. So for example, there's maybe a lot of basketball players who maybe played uh, like division one basketball, but didn't make the pros. So then all of that playing kind of, they didn't set themselves up for a healthy lifestyle. And then maybe when they're 50 or 60, they're back where the regular person would be rather than where an NBA player would be. So it's not necessarily just about um, like having that sport, but also developing those habits as we've been talking about and slowly incorporating those and letting those build over time, as Jason was suggesting, so that you can go to that 75%, 85%. And then eventually it's just a lifestyle as Ed was saying. The healthy part is the most important. If you're healthy, everything in your life will be better. You'll perform better in sports. You'll think better. You'll sleep better. Love life's better. You'll be able to have those stress better. It's all better. Too many people just say, oh, I want bigger arms or I want to lift more weight or I want to be able to run. But part of that with that performance to enhance your performance will be healthy lifestyle, sleep, food, supplements, whatever it takes. And, and all that, everything is preventative medicine that you do. Taking a walk is preventative medicine. So I think one thing, that a lot of people struggle with Ed is the idea of maybe they have a busy work life and then they have kids at home and then they have, you know, X, Y, and Z things that are expected of them from a professional family home life situation that almost, it's almost like the the world tells us that taking care of our bodies and taking care of our minds is, is selfish, right? So like, you know, if you spending like, you know, sometimes people think of it, well, if I spend an hour and a half in the gym, that's an hour and a half. I don't spend doing one of those other things. So what, how do you feel about that? Where I think we would all agree that taking care of yourself and your health is the most unselfish thing in the long run. But I think a lot of people have a a barrier in their mind that is saying that doing this is actually a selfish thing because I'm at the gym working out and my wife or husband is at home with the kids or I, you know, maybe I should be working on that presentation for work tomorrow. So how, how do you kind of balance those things? If you have to work on the presentation for work tomorrow, that's fine. You don't go to the gym, you get your work done because your family comes first with money. You can't do shit without money. But people that have all those fucking excuses don't want to do it. Um, Okay, I can't work out an hour and a half. I can work out a half hour. There you go. Make something work. Okay, I can't go to the gym. And uh, unless you're goal-oriented, like you're a power lifter, a bodybuilder, a, 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 a sports guy like yourself too at running, no matter what it is with sports, unless you like a, uh, have a competitive nature like that, you just want to be in shape and look good. So that's health and fitness. Um, you could do an unbelievably dynamic workout in 20 minutes at home with calisthenic, whether front squats, walking lunges, uh, push-ups, sit-ups, uh, band, little band stuff, and, and just take less rest, rest and get it done. You'll be in fucking phenomenal shape. And have way less aches and pains than I've ever had. So, you know, you, you could find a way to get it done. You could say, uh, you know, honey, I've been at work all day. I know you've been you know, doing this. So after dinner, you sit down for a little bit. Before you go to bed, 20 minutes, 
Say, I got to do this many sets and reps of squats and push-ups and sit-ups and do them. Do that three times a week. Uh, look what you've done over the course of a month or six months as opposed to not doing a damn thing and how your body is going to treat you. Your body's going to treat you really well because you treated it well. You, you gave it. You attempted. So it has a little bit more tools to all of a sudden now you're burning more fat. You're leaner. You, uh, you, you, you're, you got a better win. You, 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 you think better because you're, you're in shape. You sleep better. Everything about it is better. You treat the kids better. You can handle stress. Uh, it all adds up right away. That only takes 20 minutes if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, I think even if you can't do the 20 minutes, like even starting with five minutes is better than nothing sure. as we've been talking about. And it kind of feeds into itself. It's going to be incredibly difficult to start because starting anything new requires some level of willpower. We're not going to say it's like all like super easy, a piece of cake to do anything, but starting with that five minutes might be incredibly difficult. But if you can sustain that five minutes then maybe add on another five minutes, and then at that point, let's say you're feeling very good and it starts to feed into your life. It starts to better uh, like the rest of your life. Then you're like, oh, let's add in another 10 minutes. Next thing you know, we're doing 20 minutes. It makes everything even better. And then it just keeps compounding. And before you know it, it's a part of your lifestyle. And it just makes everything better as we've been talking about. And I think one thing... I'll, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, do you ever sit down and watch TV? Yeah. How long do you watch TV for? The longest uh, stretch sometimes. Uh, honestly, I don't watch that much TV, so maybe not the best example, but probably like 30 minutes. All right. Uh, how many commercials are in 30 minutes? Uh, like, like, probably like, like 16 10, minutes yeah. these days. Yeah, all right. Let, let's say there's uh, 14 minutes, 13 minutes. That's 13 minutes of stretching or push-ups and sit-ups and squat thrusts you could have done in between. There you go. Yeah. I mean, just, just something to get the ball rolling. And I think one thing too, that I've noticed is that generally people just getting started and eventually they kind of stumble on goals they want to accomplish. Right. So instead of the idea of like someone who's, you know, starting from, from zero and saying, I'm going to run an ultra marathon. Instead, they start doing Zumba or they start doing something they enjoy. And then slowly, but surely, once they start building up better habits and, and getting healthier over time, they'll like stumble on a goal. Like, Oh, well, I think, you know, now, now they're in a better position. They're like, well, maybe I could do a 5k you know, or, or like, you know what? I saw someone doing squats the other day. I'm going to give it a try with the empty bar. Right. Or like, you know, and then like, and then things, things kind of snowball and get to the point where they're like, okay, well I could do a powerlifting meet or I could do a 10 K or I could do a marathon or, you know, it's like, it's just starting in a way that's somewhat enjoyable for them, but then leads to them finding a passion or finding something they want to accomplish. Yeah. It was a, uh, everyone has a bucket list, but um, just uh, again, it goes back to the very beginning with small little steps, taking your time. All of a sudden you set yourself up to be in better shape or to be mentally stronger, to have the confidence to be able to do this there. And, and that, that now all of a sudden you're living longer and you're able to provide for your family better. And what else is there in life? That's what you're put on this earth to be able to do is make yourself happy, make others happy. There you go. Yeah, I think what we're touching on is something that I talk about a lot, which is kind of not having health as the end goal where people are like, I want a six pack. And then once you got a six pack, you're like, all right, it's there. Health is kind of something that's like in the background that you want to have so that you can do what you want and find fulfillment in whatever way you see that that's fit. Whatever, as we say, you were put on this earth for. So health is kind of like a foundation, a base layer so that you can do whatever you want using that health because it makes everything better as we've been talking about. And it's like health. Yeah. Health is the end result. Healthier is the small part. Yes. So, okay. I just want, I, I need to get my blood pressure better. Okay. So then you will do this. You will walk more. You will, you will cut out, cut out some of the, the bullshit processed food and some of the sugars. And all of a sudden your, your body weight dropped, your fat dropped, your lung power is better. And wow, your blood pressure went down. All that gets related and it all circles around each other, all itself. It's all one big circle. If you don't have one thing, you're not going to get the other. But as you said, uh, Jason, is all of a sudden you stumble upon it because, okay, in order to get my blood pressure better, I have to do this with my, my, with my nutrition a little bit, my lifestyle with my nutrition. Okay, then now I got to take some more walks. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, now I can walk farther. Now I can do this longer. Now I can ride a bike. 
Now I can go. I'm not embarrassed to take off my shirt. Now I can go to the gym. Now I can do this. I can go to the beach with my kids. Now I'm not ashamed of myself. So I don't hide in my room or I don't, I don't binge eat because I'm fucking miserable with myself. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, like, uh, Raghav was saying, you know, fitness and health is different for everyone. For some people, you know, I think all of us probably err, err on the side of being very ambitious and goal oriented. But, you know, for a lot of people, maybe it's just they want to live long enough to see their grandkids or they want to be able to take their grandkids to Disney World or, you know, they want, like you said, they want to be able to go to the, to the beach and not feel uncomfortable there. They just, just those things that maybe people who are super, super goal oriented don't necessarily worry about because they're so, you know, like I want to get to this next thing. I need to accomplish this. So for a lot of people, it's more of like, like Raghav said, it's a background continuum of like, just, I, I feel comfortable to live my life and do the things that I would like to do and accomplish outside of the gym or outside of kind of actually focusing on health. It's the things that health allows us to do. And for, for the vast majority of people, that just means, uh, you know, being mobile enough to, you know, get out, out of the house and go travel and go see the world and, and take care of the things you need to take care of for work and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think one of the things that tends to get overlooked in fitness is in health is that it doesn't have to be extreme. It can be if you want it to be, but I think for the most part, just doing the things that allow you to live a long life and accomplish other things and enjoy your life in a way that, um, means a lot to you. It's, uh, it's not extreme to the person doing it, the person that has no will, it's always going to be extreme because that's his excuse. Yeah. Uh, so it's, far, it, go ahead. It's his way out. Yep. So far, we've been talking a lot about exercise, no matter what form it is, but being uh, the greatest powerlifter of all time, obviously that's a strength sport where you use some sort of resistance training. So I wanted to ask you and get your perspective on, we know that exercise is obviously amazing for health and it does so much for you, but is there a difference between strength training and aerobic training, like between running and resistance training? What do you think that difference is? And um, do you think people should do one or the other, do both? What would you say? Uh, it all depends. I mean, you're not going to be really, really good at both. You know, you could be, you can master one thing, but you won't master the other thing. Um, it doesn't mean you can't be pretty good or you can't be better, but you have to realize that, you know, Michael Jordan wasn't a powerlifter too. He wasn't a bodybuilder. He didn't do long distance running. He was a fucking basketball player. That's what his goal was. That's what he was good at. That's what he knew he wanted to accomplish. To be the best, that's what he had to practice and that only. He did a little bit of weightlifting to keep him healthier and stronger, especially to gain weight. So he was more resilient to what his body needed. Um, so as far as that, like I do a little bit of cardio as far as walking, but if I want to keep some muscular gains and keep my body weight in a certain look, I can't do so much cardio that it takes away from that because that's not my goal. That's not what's going to keep me happy mentally. So there's a, a and, and other people, uh, Jason, some powerlifting is definitely going to help him for his running, but his running is not necessarily going to help him with his powerlifting that much to the extreme that he goes to. As long as he knows that, which is, he sounds like he's pretty happy with it. Um, I mean, except, he's really, really small, um, is, uh, it's fine. It's all fine. It's all, it's, it's, it's great. It doesn't fucking matter. It really, in the big scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It's like, what are you goals? What do you want to accomplish? As long as you know, you're not going to be the jack of all trades with it and be good at it and be phenomenal at everything. Um, that's fine. It's what, what is my goal? Yeah. Kind of going back to the idea of the average person though, who's not necessarily looking at maybe powerlifting and competing in powerlifting or doing ultra marathons like Jason does. And they're kind of stuck at a crossroads between choosing resistance training and aerobic training. What is the difference between those and what are the benefits of resistance training versus aerobic training? Um, well, the resistance training part goes with muscle tendon, tendons, ligaments, your, your bone. Um, uh, and uh, definitely a little bit of mental health too, but that can come with aerobics. If you push yourself hard enough and you know, you're on the treadmill for running for an hour instead of 40 minutes. So you become stronger mentally. Um, you have to be in shape enough 
to do the activity you want and to be healthy enough. If all I ever did was power lift and I didn't look at my overall health, my power lifting would have suffered and I wouldn't last that long because I wouldn't have been healthy enough to be able to do what I did for that long. And in the same respect, someone who wants to do more aerobics, you're not going to get a certain look muscular wise unless you have some type of resistance training, which will actually help your aerobics. Because as I said, your whole skeletal structure will be stronger because you're going to need it for the pounding that you take every time you put that foot down from whatever height it comes from to whatever speed you're going at to, uh, you know, it's it, that that's hard on your body. It's hard on your from your your ankles, your knees, your back, your shoulders, your neck. It all goes right, right through you from all that running and aerobic work. So uh, but a little bit of aerobic work for a strength trainer is great because it keeps his lung powers in shape. So then he can handle a more intense, harder workout and not die out. So all of a sudden you won't be, oh, oh, I can't do another one. I can't do another set. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that people tend to find all the time is that in something I tell people relatively often when they come with multiple goals and they want to accomplish everything at the same time. And I always try to reframe their mindset of like, okay, but what is the most important thing to you? If you had to put everything on a list and what was number one, what would be number one? Because like you said, you know, if I want to, you know, be the best lifter I can be and run a hundred miles at the same time, you're not going to do both at the same time. Or no, not, not be great at it. No. You could do both, but you're just not going to be really good at both. And so I think in, in that, in that vein, thinking about accomplishing things kind of in a sequence or in a way that a way that allows them to do both and then prioritize one at certain points of time and, and something else at another point in time where like, say, you know, for example, for myself, as I tend to definitely, once my running mileage picks up, I tend to drop weight pretty quickly. And then in between races, when I have my running mileage comes back down and I'm lifting much more frequently, um, and able to put a lot more weight back on, I can see much more progress being made, um, uh, in the strength realm and, and kind of muscle building realm. But it's, it's not, it's a matter of, you have to prioritize one thing at a certain period of time. And then once the goal is accomplished, you can switch lanes a little bit and move on towards something else. Uh, but if for, for, I think a regular person just, you know, who wants to be fit overall, I think we would all agree, like they would some amount of resistance training and, and, a, and a bit of aerobic training for just your everyday person who wants to be in good shape is probably a good idea. Definitely. I think one of the main benefits of resistance training, even for someone who doesn't necessarily want to, is as Ed was talking about your like structural integrity, where adding like resistance training and weight literally to your back will increase your bone density because it gives you the stimulus to do so. So especially women. Yes. And we've touched on that in other podcasts where, um, especially women there, as Ed was saying, their bone density drops off after the hit menopause. So incorporating resistance training earlier is a lot better so you can build that bone density and so forth. But I want to also say that as far as resistance training, if you do like a set of 10 or maybe even 20, you still are getting some sort of aerobic training in there. So it kind of can, uh, I don't want to, mess this up, but you can kind of do both at the same time. Hit two birds with one stone. It's well, not necessarily the here, same thing. What it is. You could get, you can get in better shape, but it's not aerobic. It's anaerobic because you're stopping after a certain amount of reps. Now, um, unless, uh, unless you can keep your heart rate up for a certain amount of time and take less time in between sets, then you could probably turn it into a, an aerobic thing for, but for the most part, it would be anaerobic. You know, you would think that, uh, um, like hockey players and stuff that that's so aerobic and no, it's anaerobic because they're, they're getting benched. Then they go back on, then they go to the bench then they get back on for a certain amount, amount of minutes. Um, so the aerobic has to be a certain level of heart rate. I think for a certain, a certain amount of time, if you can keep that up, then it definitely th does become aerobic. And, and that has to do with your training. What are your training goals? Okay. My training goal is to, have a little more aerobic in it and burn more fat. Well, first of all, you got to watch your diet and then your training has to pick up. How intense does my training have to be? Uh, well, okay. I, I can't take the five minutes in between sets or longer. I have to make it to, to one minute. Then all of a sudden now your intensity is through the damn roof, but also it builds your lung powers and everything else. So, and if you do that for, let's say you could do a workout that takes a half hour 
and your I guarantee your heart rate is going to be high for a half hour. For sure. Yep. Ed, what do you think in terms of why do you think so many people are afraid to start resistance training or start lifting weights? Because they think they look like shit. They look in the mirror and they're afraid to start because they think they're nothing. They just got to realize that, you know, if that nothing is, is going to build so full fast that they're looking already, like we talked about before, as I'm not this guy in the magazine or this girl in the model, in the Cosmo or wherever. I don't look like that yet. So I don't want anyone to see me struggle. No, that's just more of that, that. That's more just a little, that's a mental attitude. If you could just get them in a gym and show them how easy it is, um, then all of a sudden they become proud of themselves because they finished that one day or they finished doing a certain amount of reps and you could build them up. You know, not everyone is going to be like that. Some people are going to be, okay, I'll go and train, but they don't last that long. Well, they're not meant for it then. They need to be doing more of the calisthenics and the running and stuff like that. They're not going to last it. They'll never ever last in a gym. Uh, you, you want someone that's going to be able to last a long time that wants to change, fundamentally change their life by just doing it in little increments, but you got to get them in the gym. Okay. You don't get them in the gym, turn their, turn their home into a gym with the calisthenic stuff, but they got to do it. If is everyone is just afraid to start because it sucks. It's really hard when you start, when I started doing some fight stuff and I started, I used to wrestle when I was a kid. And I hadn't many, many, many years. And we went to the ground and started doing groundwork again. And I had to dry heaves like 17 times that day, I counted. But within three weeks, I could go to the ground and I was in unbelievable shape compared to where I was. But that first, those, that first week sucked. It sucked. But your body and mind gets so much better, so much faster. But you got to find a way to get that person to start. That's it. Just start it. Then it's okay. Yeah. It's all about starting. And as a follow-up question to that, who is it okay to start for? Like I know you're um, in your fifties now and you're still resistance training is resistance training for everyone. Can the people who are older do it? How young is too young? What do you think about that? Well, people think resistance training right away. Think of big hulking guys in the gym. You can get a pair of bands or you can do calisthenics. You could do, you could do squats for your, to your chair. You know, it's, that's, that's resistance training right there. It's, it, 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 I told you people just get, they get this big image of having to go to a gym and be around muscle heads and all people that are so much better than them already that they're afraid to start, start them off at home. Say, okay, three times a week, I want you to do a, a total of a hundred squats to your chair every day. I want you to do push-ups off your sink. And I want you to a uh, hundred crunchies and try to do that at least three times a week. After a month, what will they look like and feel like? It'll be a lot easier and they'll look better and feel better. Won't they? They will. There. They will. And I think, you know, one thing that I a hundred percent agree with what Ed said is that resistance training takes on many forms. And I think one thing that tends to happen, especially from fitness people when they're when they're talking to, you know, your everyday people on the street is sometimes we do a poor job of, of actually letting them know that, you know, you don't have to be the power lifter snorting ammonia and getting slapped on the back of the head 10 times going to squat a thousand pounds to resistance train. You could be doing some bicep curls on a machine, some leg presses. You can be doing some body weight lunges. Um, and then, you know, if whichever seems to be more your speed, you could do both, or you could do some combination of the two. I think one of the things that tends to happen is people look at when they hear resistance training, they think of a barbell, which at first, in my mind, that makes me happy. I think of a barbell, I get happy. But some people think of, you know, the barbell movements and they get a little bit worried. Like, I, what if I can't do this? What if it hurts? What if, you know, so many things come to someone's mind that kind of make them hesitate to start. But like Ed said, you could start them off, squat to a chair, do a bodyweight squat, do a goblet squat, and then, you know, build the confidence in them and then say, like, okay, we're going to then, if they feel comfortable moving on to something else, maybe challenge them with a the barbell a little bit. So it doesn't necessarily have to start or even finish at the barbell. It can be, um, resist resistance training itself can take on many forms. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they don't wait too long because the, the longer you wait, the worse it is. 
I mean, Raghav was a little fat ass when he was a kid. <laughs> when he used to yep. walk down the street, when he used to walk down the street, people would stop in the car and look at him and say, you're going the wrong way. Wait, the rest of the herd went the other way. <laughs> so for him, out of necessity, because he looked in the mirror, as with a lot of us, sometimes we get a look in the mirror and we're like, I do not like the way I look. Well, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? You're going to be miserable or are you going to get off your ass and do something about it? But uh, there we go again. Start off small, a little, cut a little something off your diet. You know, instead of drinking all fucking uh, highly sugar drinks and cereal and stuff, say, I want to knock out these two things. Oh my gosh, in a month, you'll look, start looking unbelievable. Definitely. Um, I want to shift gears maybe just a little bit. Uh, Jason, if you want to add something to that, go ahead. Um, I think I was just, yeah, I think like what we talked about before, it's kind of more about building habits. I was just going to ask Ed, do you think more people need tough love or like, do you think we need to be gently encouraging more people or do you think we need, we need to be more aggressive in our approach of like, Hey, do something. If you don't like your life, do something about it. Or do you think that we need to kind of mitigate our approach a little bit, depending on a little bit of both to, to get them to start, you have to understand that they have an issue already where they are probably depressed, uh, extremely apprehensive and, and just generally don't like themselves or the way they look and they don't want to start because they're very, very intimidated. So what you do is you start them off really, really small, uh, something really, really small. And they will start feeling better about themselves because every time they finish that day where they did a little exercise, they finish number one in their mind that they succeeded at something that they never thought they will do. They will build confidence and self-esteem like they never thought of before. And it just keeps building. Then after they get a little serious, say, okay, are you happy with the way you look and the way you feel? Generally, they'll say, no, I'm, I'm happy that I made this progress, but I just want this little bit more. I'll say, okay, so then we're going to have to bear down just a little bit. And you could be a little bit more aggressive, but yelling at someone and cursing them out is never going to get them anywhere, but have them resent the hell out of you. Yeah. Um, I know we were talking earlier a little bit about maybe fear of the barbell and fear of resistance training. And I wanted to ask you if, um, some of that fear is due to injury risk. I know a lot of people, when they think about resistance training, barbells and all these things, they think of people that squat end up blowing out their knees. People always tell you, I got back problems from squatting. Oftentimes a lot of parents might tell their kids that I'll have knee problems, uh, when you grow up because you're squatting such heavy weight. So what do you think about injuries and resistance training is there something there is it preventive of injuries does it cause injuries um, both uh, shitty form trying to lift with your ego will cause injuries uh, but not starting will guarantee that you have a different injury which is usually some, something health related other than bones and muscles and ligaments so uh, usually that's an excuse to not start Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any validity to people saying that like, even let's say that your form is like hundred percent proper. Um, is there any validity to people saying that your back might hurt or you're going to blow your knees out when you get older? If like, for example, if I'm squatting right now, no, no, no. As long as, as long as, you know, technique is good. And you didn't know anything stupid with your ego. Like when you're capable of squatting 200, just throw on 300. Cause you're all, you, you know, you're, a hot chicks in a room and you or a hot guy and you try to impress them. Um, then there's nothing at all. It's just going to make everything perfect. That in itself, good, strict, great form, full range of motion exercises are a form of physical therapy and, and preventative medicine at the same time. If you could do a full range squat, uh, and not have any issues, do you really have to do a whole bunch of stretching necessarily? No, you really don't. If you have trouble getting to a full range squat, well, then you got to do a little bit of mobility training. Once you get it down, now you're good. Yeah. And I would, I would agree. I think one of the things that, you know, and I think the research bears this out is that the biggest, the, I think the most, um, 
impact of injury risk reduction has to do with graded exposure to exercise. So it's like you said, if someone is not uh, able to squat 300 pounds and they're able to squat 150 and then they're, they, you know, they jump to 300 or instead of, you know, maybe starting out with a lower amount of sets and reps and volume, they start out with like a 10 by 10 program and then they get tendonitis or something of that nature. I think one of the things is, you know, knowing where someone's physical capabilities lie to start with and building that graded exposure to the point where they're at, where they feel comfortable with and, and able to make progress. And I think that's one of the things that I think is most misunderstood in terms of the injury risk reduction world is that it's it's most likely that they were doing something that their body was ill prepared to handle at the time and i think like you said if you don't ever start you're much more likely to have a serious more catastrophic outcome in the form of maybe osteoporosis or uh, compound or uh, i'm sorry um, compression fractures or you know the inability to get out of a chair when you're 85 so i think i, I agree with that 100 percent you know, since, since, you know, I, I had a biology cast, uh, class once and I, I got an A in it. So now I'm oh, going to take the MCAT. So, so, you know, now I'm going to take the MCATs. You know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take the, you know, to become an MD, I'm going to take the test. No, you have to do all the work in between. You're not ready for it. Take your time one step at a time. My training was built one step at a time, every single week built up enough. So it, it built me up to be able to do the next week and then the next week and then the next week. And it, it was a week by week thing. It was like, okay, I'm going to make out my training root, routine for this amount of weeks, but these are the numbers I have to hit every week. And it just kept building and building and building after that training routine. Now I have a new number in mind, but it has to be attainable and doable. That goal has to be attainable and doable or else you'll never ever get there. Write it down. Yeah, I think it's important to note that if you've been listening to this for this entire length so far, you've probably noticed that it all starts with that graded exposure of starting small and building up. No matter what you do in life, you're going to have to start somewhere and it's not going to be somewhere huge. You're not going to start off becoming Michael Phelps, um, Ed Cohn, Michael Jordan, whoever it is. You're going to start off as a no one, as super small, doing absolutely like bare minimum and you build your way up. And the same thing goes for injury prevention with resistance training, whereas everyone's been saying you start slowly. But I also want to add to to that, that when you talk about physical therapy and I want to be a physiatrist, as we've discussed in another episode, a lot of rehab that goes into fixing people's posture and helping them function and move better is resistance training in forms. So let's say a lot of people have poor posture where they're slumped forward all the time like this and they're at their computers. What do you do for that? You do a lot of resistance training for the things in the back. So you do a lot of rear delt work, maybe um, work on your traps, different things like that. For people so with- It creates a scapular retraction. Exactly. And then for someone with maybe a knee uh, problem of some sort, you will, any type of physical therapy will generally ask you to strengthen your quads, your hamstrings and everything around that joint. So it's not necessarily even talking about um, resistance training in the sense of like, it's not bad for you that it won't cause injury, but also prevents injury to all those joints and is used in a lot of rehab protocols. Yeah. What I, what I usually say is, is, the way I trained is I wanted every single thing strong. So I built a suit of armor. So wherever you hit it, there was a, a chunk of resilience there to stop from getting hurt or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I think that's huge that um, that's one of the principles of yours that I've definitely incorporated into my life where and into my training where a lot of people when you see specifically in powerlifting, maybe any other sport where they just go super hard at one specific exercise or one specific um, whatever it is, and they don't talk about anything else. They don't work on anything else. And then all of a sudden they get injured. And that's also huge to be a well-rounded person when it comes to whatever you're doing exercise wise or health wise, that you don't hone in all the way into one thing, unless you're that extreme athlete, you kind of stay a little bit well-rounded. You don't just do your back squats, your deadlifts and your bench. You do more exercises to build that suit of armor, as you were saying. Yep. Then you can last longer, lift more weight, be happy. And Raghav said that he um, could beat you in a handshake contest. Is that true? <laughs> Not even if I only use three. I can beat him with three fingers. I was I was telling Jason that whenever we do a handshake, you only use these three fingers, and yeah. then you're like, "You want me to try now?" And then you add in the other two. Yeah, I don't even use my thumb. 
Yeah. And the thumb is the biggest opposer for the, yeah. Ed has, for anyone who's watching the video version of this on YouTube, Ed has some of the biggest hands. He's not the tallest person. Ed, how tall are you? Uh, About five, six, but I can still palm a basketball with three fingers. Exactly. So I also want to say that like grip strength that we're talking about this in like a scientific way, there have been studies that also show grip strength is correlated with mortality. So that's just another fun fact in there. So I got a story about that. The first time I met Stuart McGill, who's like one of the foremost back authorities in the whole world, I shook his hand. And when we shook hands, he didn't let go. He kept squeezing and he just looked at me in the eye. Until I stopped and said, after about 15 seconds, I looked at him and said, you're assessing me right now somehow. What are you doing? And, and that's what he said. He, he correlated, he, there's a, between like your, uh, your index finger and your pinky, he said, there's a correlation between the strength, how even the strength is between, the, between the, uh, you know, that from one length of the hand all the way to the other with the fingers. Um, there's some cool shit that he goes by. Mm. Yeah. I don't necessarily know the science exactly behind that correlation. I could assume that if you have a strong grip, that means you've done some level of resistance training. So you develop some resilience to life as we've discussed earlier in this podcast. So I'm assuming that's where that comes from. It's, uh, I listen to people that my, my advantage is I have a really, really big phone book of people I can always ask for advice and I'm not ashamed to use it all the time. Yeah, definitely. I think that's also one of the huge aspects of um, training or getting in like uh, a routine with anything is having that support system and having that phone book. Not necessarily the people who are best in their field as what your phone book is filled with, but just having someone there as a support system is huge. Yeah, I think uh, some some like great martial older martial arts guy once said that um, he always sees himself as a beginner. Definitely. Ed, um, I want to ask you, we had, we're at 52 ish minutes into this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I want to start. Closing, yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, yeah. but I want to ask you, so you're not, as we've touched earlier, as I've said, you're not necessarily in the healthcare field and you took one biology class. So you're not necessarily the most scientific person, but you have a yeah. tremendous amount of knowledge, which a lot of things science maybe can't explain right now. So what is one thing that you think physicians should know that's more anecdotal and not necessarily in the literature? They've, they've got to observe more. I, I'm pretty ADD. And when I was a kid, I was, I didn't realize I was, but I was always into myself. But what I was good at was able to sit back in that crowd and just look and observe and pick up things without even looking at a book or talking to people is I would be so into myself that I'd be afraid. I was so introverted that I would just watch. And that's what I learned. That's how I learned so, so, so much. I watch what people do right. And I watch what people do wrong. And then all of a sudden you, you start seeing little things that no one else observes. Like you see how I can coach somebody when I, when I take a different angle and look at it. Oh no, it's just do this little thing. Okay. Now it's done. And that's just how I've I've always been. I made myself, I made myself like that. It's uh, you know, you you can look up anything on the internet or look at any video if you don't want to read, listen to someone talk, go to YouTube, punch in a topic. You'll find it. Go to WebMD, go to like uh, Greg Knuckles and all these, uh, 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 Lane Norton, Dr. Mike Isretel, Andy Galpin. So many people are freaking awesome out there doing the real, real science that you can actually listen to them and they'll talk like a normal human being and not a doctor to be able to break it down so you can understand them there. How bad you want it? Yeah. I think physicians, uh, a lot of times you might see are kind of caught up in the literature in a sense where if it's not in the textbook or on the article, then they might not necessarily tell the patient about it or have any suggestion based on it. But a lot of what I've noticed in some really good physicians that I've worked with is that they're able to read the patient and maybe it's not necessarily science-based or evidence-based, but they're able to adapt whatever it is to that patient's lifestyle and um, teach it in a way that the patient understands. And that's one of the hugely beneficial qualities of physician that I see. Yeah. a A lot of studies and everything are done for such a broad amount of people 
that there's always going to be individuals that don't fit into that mold. And that's, that's, that's when you, you that that's when you got to sit back as a, a healthcare individual or whoever you're trying to help and, or get help from and just observe and go through little points and make a chest, a checklist on what they do right and wrong in their life. And generally all of a sudden you'll see something that you can change. That'll change everything. That's not the same that you do for everyone else. Yeah. And I think one of the things that Raghav touched on is kind of the idea of, of, I think we lose touch sometimes with with what evidence-based practice means and what I think gets lost as the individual. I think one thing that, you know, a lot of people who stay in the science world of things, uh, a lot of the times they're never front facing, they're never frontline people in terms of they're not working with individuals. So it's hard to understand what it's like to convince someone, you know, sitting across from you of what you know, versus what you know, you know, or what you think, you know. So I think one of the things that we need to kind of work on in terms of that side of the, the health fitness medicine, um, continuum is to take the individual in mind when we think about the data, you know, we think about, okay, well, we know this works for most people based on the data, but how does this individual fit within that paradigm? Did they fit or do they not fit? Do I need to change things up for this person to make it work? And I think that gets lost sometimes where we want to fit everyone into a cookie cutter. Well, this worked for 85 five percent of the population we studied so it must work on you instead of okay well let's take what we know and apply it to you and see how you respond yeah i have i have a a good answer to that um a a, a friendship i developed with which with the guy who trains fighters all day long named dr bo hightower um ragav knows who he is really really smart guy who cares but he has to think outside the box all the time because all these fighters they don't do normal shit. So I saw him post up something one time of a whole bunch of different uh, hip MRIs. And everybody was different. So what I th- started thinking to myself, um, because I, I think a little different, is, well, if you took five guys that looked like me with the same build, on the outside and you did MRIs of their shoulders, backs, their knees, their hips like that. Our angles might be tiny bit different. No one's going to be exactly the same usually. So that would explain taking a close stance and wide stance, what type of shoe you wear, um, where your knee path goes, where, how high you have the bar, how low you have to bar on your back. And it's the same thing with a, a bench or a deadlift. So things change. So the way I train people is I watch really close and I try to develop if it's smooth, if it feels good, and if it, if it looks good. If those things come out 100% or close to it, that's where you're going to be at no matter what anyone says. Don't listen to anybody else. Does it feel good and look good? Is it smooth? Yes. Do it. That's your style. There. There we go. Ed, if someone comes up to you at a coffee shop, for some reason you're getting coffee or pizza or whatever it is that you're eating, and they have two minutes and they ask you, how do I get healthy? What are you going to tell them? Uh, uh, move more, eat less shit. There, that was less than five seconds. There we go. That seems to be a very common answer. And I, I, actually, that, I, I believe that was a Jim Wendler line. So I'll give credit. But I believe it was a move more, eat less shit. Yeah, that's what it boils down to in the end. And as we've talked about throughout this entire podcast, that doesn't mean going to run an ultra marathon or cutting out all of your foods. Just start super small. No, you're small. a pizza guy. It, it, you can still eat pizza. You can still have tacos or Chinese food. It's just that doesn't it just knock out a lot of the other bullshit and move more and you'll be fine. Exactly. Prioritize what you enjoy, cut out some of the other things, and then slowly start to make that habits and then into a lifestyle. And in the end, you'll find yourself in a lot better place than where you started. There you go. And there's so many different diets that, that all you got to worry about is cut out all the bullshit. And as long as you're in a caloric deficit, then you'll be fine as far as losing, as far as if you want to lose weight. All right. We Thanks. just solved the whole world's problem in one hour. <laughs> I think that's how we need to market this podcast is we just solved every problem in the world yes. in one hour. Yes. Like, there you go. 
I think we actually did though. We touched on almost every single aspect of living a better life and how resistance training and exercise and just everything plays together and then you live a better life. So yeah, we did. Honestly. Cool. All right. Thank you very much, Ed, for being on this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us this evening. You're welcome. We really appreciate your time. What we're going to have to do on the next next series of the next podcast when the gyms open up is we're going to have to get Jason at Lance's where we we do a a video where we fix him. We fix his lifts. Hey, I I deadlift more than Raghav, just letting you know. Wait, no, you don't. Wait, 620? You deadlift at 620? 675. All right, all right. All right. Come on. I tried. I, You're close. To, I, close. I only had one. See, but, but I could tell I, I could tell by the way you're built right now, sitting down, that squatting is bent and benching is a lot harder. Yeah, I'm 6'2 with long arms and legs. So that's the the math is pretty easy <laughs> to do on that one. Yeah. So all we right. all have our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we, the next podcast we should do, we could do from the gym, do it live. You guys can make fun of my embarrassing strength and then we'll go run 20 miles together. <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. Right. Um, I, could tell, I could also tell by the way he's built that his with his deadlift is he's going to use a lot more back and hamstring than we would hip and thigh. He's actually right. Yeah, already. Yeah. So that's your, that's your perfect form, which See, is going to be a little different. If you're still listening so for, to the end of this podcast... We, we, uh, the, the idiots out there who think they know everything would say he's got horrible form. No, that's just him. Yeah. See, if you're at the end of this podcast and still listening or watching to this, this is the genius of Ed Cohn and why he is so good at what he does. He's just looking at a little box of Jason right here and he just knows so much about him just from that. Well, he's ugly too. <laughs> well, that doesn't take much to tell. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ed, so much hey, for your time. You, That'll conclude this episode of the I'm podcast. Gonna go, I'm going to go buy some food. All right. Yep. Later. Bye. Take care. Thanks. Yep. Have fun. Hey, everyone. This is Raghav. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you want more content and to join in on the conversation, find us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Prevent Podcast. That's P R E V E N T P O D C A S T. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. 